Y'all remember what today is, right? The day before Valentine's Day. The day, guys, that you're supposed to get the card and the present today, right? Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. No, it's, it's another day of the Olympics, right? Got the Olympics. Super Bowl. I saw a guy posted on Facebook this week, and he says... I bought tickets to the Super Bowl February 13th at 6 o'clock. Cost me $2,500. I just found out that my wife, my fiance, scheduled our wedding on the same day at the same time. So he says, if you want to go, it's free. She'll be the one with red hair and a white dress at Central Christian Church. You know, it's amazing to me how some guys find their joy, you know. And, and really, she should be rejoicing if he would rather go to the Super Bowl than go to, uh, to their wedding, that he was not going to show up. And you know, we, we always, we're looking for joy, aren't we? We're looking for somewhere to find joy in our life. Life often doesn't cooperate with us. I mean, we have aches and pains and and all kinds of problems going on, and sometimes we just don't find joy in life. This one guy, he got home every day for a whole week after work. He, was, he said, my back is just killing me. I don't understand it. And finally he got home, and it was, it was Friday afternoon, and he told his wife, he said, I finally figured out why my back is hurting so bad. We got new ultra-modern office furniture in our office this week, and I just found out today, I've been sitting in a trash can all week long. And you know, that it just, it just kills you. You know, you have these problems and things. But you know what? It's really neat when you overcome that pain and you restore yourself back to where the pain is gone and it, it just... It really gets to you. You know, you're, you're renewed. How many times have you heard somebody, you know, they've been struggling with pain, and you finally see them, and they're over that pain, and they say, I feel like a new man. I feel like a new woman. And they're just, they're renewed. They're restored. They're revived. And they feel like, wow, I feel like a million bucks. My mom's sitting down here shaking her head. I ain't there yet. You know, and, and so we... We need that restoration to go on in our lives. And, and we need that. We're, we're all looking for joy. And hopefully we're looking for revival, especially spiritual revival. And you know what? That joy can come in the Lord. I want you to think today as we continue our series called Restored. And we've been talking about how a man named Nehemiah, he's got his own book in the Bible, he went to Jerusalem after that city was destroyed and broken down, and he restored it. And he rebuilt the walls and refurbished the gates and re-inhabited the city with people, and it was thriving once again. But that was not the only reason Nehemiah was sent there. You know, we've, we've looked over... Uh, the, the book of Nehemiah for the past several weeks, and we talked about he realized the problem, he, renewed, he, he reviewed the need, he refocused the people, he remembered the presence of God, he reacted to obstacles, he revitalized the purpose. But today I want you to think about rejoicing in revival because that's where 
God had sent the people to be, to be spiritually revived. Now I want to raise this question. What leads to revival? What leads to revival? Maybe a question we should ask and answer before that is, what is revival? Webster, I looked it up and it said, an act or instance of reviving, the state of being revived. That clears it up, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we're, we're revived. But, but what does it really mean? Oxford languages said, an involvement in the condition or strength, an improvement in the condition or strength of something, an instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. Now think about again. That means it once was those things. It once was popular or active or important. And then it wasn't. And now it is again. So it's been revived. But what about spiritual revival? That's what we really are thinking about. And uh, there's an article I found called Theology of Revival. And they said simply this, revival is spiritual awakening. It's coming awake to God. It's realizing God in your life and His Spirit working in your life. In that article, they gave several definitions of revival by famous preachers. Uh, the first one by J.I. Packer. God's quickening visitation of His people, touching their heart and deepening His work of grace in their lives. Or how about this one? An extraordinary movement of the Holy Spirit producing extraordinary results. I like this one. The work of the Holy Spirit restoring, there's our word, the people of God to a more vital spiritual life, witness, and work by prayer and the world after repentance in crisis for their spiritual decline. Or this one. The sovereign act of God in which He restores His own backsliding people to repentance, faith, and obedience. In other words, we're down spiritually, and when revival comes, we're raised up spiritually. Hopefully, that's what we're all looking for. I want you to see today that revival came to the people of God in the days of Nehemiah in a way that you would never imagine it would happen. But it came, and that's what we're going to think about today. I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, if you have your Bible, page 389, if you didn't bring your own Bible, in the Pew Bible. Hopefully you may have a cell phone and have it on there. That's okay too. You know, to me, this section in chapter 8 of Nehemiah is, is the pinnacle of the book of Nehemiah. Now, there's stuff that comes after that we're going to look at, but this is, uh, we've been building up to this point because this point that we're going to learn about today is where God wanted His people to be spiritually. And let me set this up for you. I'm not going to read all of chapter 8 today. Your reading assignment was to read the first 12 verses and then look carefully in the bulletin at the reading assignments for next week because it's a lot more than just the rest of the chapter. And then the week after that, it's going to be a little bit more and we'll conclude this series. But in this first part here, there was a sacred assembly called. Probably Nehemiah called this. And the people came together there in the city of Jerusalem that had been restored and re-inhabited. And Ezra, who was their priest, was asked to read from the law of Moses. That is, the Word of God. And so he got up 
uh, it was the seventh month and the first day. Now, to us, that's not significant. We would call that July the 1st. But to them, on their, uh, it was the seventh month on their sacred calendar, but on their civil calendar, the Jews had two calendars, it was the first day of their new year. And it was the day when they were supposed to, to uh, celebrate the Feast of the Trumpets, according to the Law of Moses. So they're supposed to have this great celebration. And the people all come together. They built this wooden platform. Ezra, the priest, gets up on it, and he begins to roll, uh, read from the scroll. It says the book here, but we know they had scrolls. And he's got the first five books of the Bible there, the Law of Moses, and he began to read. And it says, Ezra prayed to the Lord. And when he began to praise the Lord, the people raised their hands. They were shouting amen. i tell you what, God's Spirit was beginning to work. And it goes on to say that the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They stood there. And then I want you to pick up at verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and some of those who have no, send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed the people, saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then the people all went away to eat and drink and send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They now understood the law of God. They got it. Something powerful happened. The leaders were reading from the Bible. You know, in those days, everybody didn't have a Bible. We're so blessed, we got handfuls of them laying around. Some of them never get opened. We got it at the touch of our finger on our phone or our iPad or on our computer. We're so blessed to have the Word of God. But do we read it? Well, they heard it that day. And they specifically read from the law. That is, the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. Uh, it, it begins with the book of Genesis. That's mostly a history book of how they got the law. And then... Uh, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Ex Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus really give the law. Deuteronomy just sums it all up and gives them a, a challenge to hold on to the law as they're going into the promised land. But they begin reading from God's Word. I love verse 8 because it's, it's the best definition of preaching I've ever seen. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. It was clear. Making it clear. That is, telling the people what it said 
and then giving its meaning. That is, how should we interpret it? What should we do? And look at what happened. The people started to weep. In fact, it says there in one place, they, they fell down face to the ground. They were broken as they heard that word of, word of God read to them. I guess they realized how far they were from God. And this is the first thing I want you to see, is that realizing sinfulness should lead to a godly sorrow. You know, as those leaders begin to read those words, the people, they realize how far they were away from what God wanted them to be. You know, we talked about the fact that Nehemiah didn't just come to Jerusalem to rebuild some walls and refurbish some gates. He came to restore a people back to God and what God wanted. You can't restore something until you realize it's broken. And on this day, as the law of God was being preached, the people were broken. They realized, you know, it's a powerful thing to come under the conviction of God. Listen to what Hebrews 4 Verse 12 says about the Word of God. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Word of God, when you take it in, listen, some people say the soul and the spirit are the same thing. This says the Word of God can divide those. It can separate them. It says it can get down into your, your bone marrow. It gets inside you and, and, and does something to you. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes that you have. That's how powerful the Word of God is, but you've got to hear it. You've got to listen to it. You've got to take it in. These people, they got it that day. And we have to realize, in God's eyes, we're all broken. You know, Jesus was preaching... And the Bible says as he went about preaching and teaching, he looked out at all the people and he, and he said, he, it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no spiritual direction. And God's looking out, you know, Jesus is looking out on his people and he's compassionate, he's brokenhearted for them. That's why God gave us Jesus. That's why God gave us the Bible, because He wants us to reveal Himself to us, but not just reveal Himself to us. He wants us to know what He expects. And I'm going to tell you, the whole Word of God is based on this idea. It's love. That's what it's all based on. That's what God wants in every heart on this earth. He loves us tremendously. And He wants every one of us to love Him and to love others. That's what it tells us. He even says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He wants us to have a certain love for ourselves. And that love, that's not a, that's not a uh, romantic love. It's, it's not a love based on feelings. It is a decision that we make that I'm going to act in the way God acts towards us. That is, with care, concern, compassion, and with respect for God and for other people. That's the basis of all the Scripture. And God sent Jesus and gave us the Bible to help us understand that. Now, if you think about these people, why do you really think they were weeping? 
as the leaders read from the law. You know what? They became convicted of their sin, didn't they? They, they heard that law and they realized how far they were from God. Now a lot of us think sin is, okay, give me a list of rules. What, what, do you, what can I do? I'll try not to do it. That's not what sin is. Sin is anything that's outside the will of God. Anything. It can be what you do. We know that. Stealing or committing murder or lying to somebody. It can be what you say. When you have malice towards someone, you call somebody a name or something. It can be what you think when you have lust or when you have hatred in your, in your mind. That, that's a sin. Did you know the Bible even says that you can fail to do the right thing and that's a sin? In James it says anyone who, who knows the good he ought to do and does not do it sins. So sin can be all kinds of things. Did you know you can even do the right thing for the wrong reason and it be a sin? That's because if you do something good, but you're doing it for your glory, that's a sin. When we do good, we should do it for God's glory. And so we all fall into this sin sometimes. And it really has to do with our motive. And so, if we read and study the law of God, God will lead you to see your sin. He'll lead you to where you come to the point where you say, Oh God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that I was going away from your will. And that takes us to the second thing I want you to see, is that godly sorrow leads to a repentant heart. You know, these people, they had godly sorrow. They were face down on the ground before God, weeping. And they came to the place that Nehemiah and Ezra wanted them to be. 2 Corinthians 10, 7, 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You know, repentance is a big part of the restoration process. You know, uh, it starts when we realize, God, I've been going my own way. I've been uh, not striving to, to live your way. I put myself and my selfish desires ahead of you. And now I want to put you first. That's repentance. And so we begin seeking God. I don't know how far they got in reading that day, I don't know if they read all five books of the Pentateuch. They read, it says, from daybreak, which is usually around seven. They read all the way up to noon, so it's about five hours they read. But I'm quite certain that they read through the book of Exodus. And in the, Exodus, the book of Exodus, they got to that part where the Ten Commandments are given. And the very first one of those commandments says, You shall have no other gods before me. And interpreted properly, that means you don't put anything before God. And they realized, I'm quite certain, that that's what they'd done. You know, you think about, it talks here about godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. You know the difference between that? Worldly sorrow says, I'm so sorry things didn't work out for me. 
I'm so, I'm so sorry I got caught doing that bad thing. I'm so sorry I got in trouble and, and I've got myself in a bind. And usually when we have that kind of sorrow, we say, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And we blame it on other people, which is even another worse sin because you're just lying to yourself. But you know what godly sorrow says? God, I get it. I, I haven't lived up to your standard. I'm, I'm fallen below. And, and I've let you down. And I'm to blame. classic example of that in the Bible is King David. Powerful man over all of Israel and Judah. And yet he falls into sin with Bathsheba. And he gets caught in it. And, you know, the, the priest comes to him and calls him out on his sin. And, and at that point, David recognized, you know what, I'm wrong. And he wrote Psalm 51. And he says, in that psalm, he says, God, I have sinned against you. And then he says this, Create in me a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You know, that's where God had these people. They were, they were repentant. They wanted clean hearts. And, and you know, when the mindset goes from a worldly mindset to a godly mindset, that's where change things. The worldly mindset says, I need all this stuff to be satisfied, to be happy. But the godly mindset says, all I need is you, God. I just need to follow you, and that's where I'm going to find the joy that I'm looking for in this life. And that's where repentance starts. You know, repentance means to change the mind or, or to change the heart. It's to turn 180 degrees from going one way to going another way, from going my way to going God's way. Jesus said, unless you repent, you too will perish. And Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and, and he preached, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And he said, this is for the forgiveness of sins. And this is to restore your relationship with God and, and be right with God. And when we have that genuine, godly sorrow, it leads us to that place of repentance. And you know what? We begin to weed sin out of our lives. We, we begin to follow God. When Nehemiah saw those people mourning and weeping, you know, he realized they got it. They heard the Word of God, and they got where God wanted them to be. They were broken there on the ground. Now, they weren't instantly perfect, but they were on a path where they were now going to seek to do what God wanted them to do. And look at what he says to them. Here they are on the ground, on their knees, face down to the ground, crying and weeping. And Nehemiah says, stop. I want you to get up and celebrate. And that's what God wants for all of us. We get to that broken point and it's the third thing I want you to see. This changed heart leads to knowing God's favor. And that's what God wants for every one of us, every person in this world. God wants to pour out His favor on you, but He won't do it until you repent and you realize He is the way. It's what God wants for all of us. That's grace. He wants today... A new life for every one of us, and that comes through faith in Christ. And if we get to Christ and we realize, you know, He's really our example, 
and if we're not living up to his life, then we're, we're broken. We're not what God intended us to be. And when we get that repentant attitude and we say, okay, God, you know, he gave us Jesus to be somebody to follow. He gave us a, a, a Lord to show us the way, a Savior, so we don't have to worry about death anymore, that we know we have eternal life. And He wants you to celebrate the new life. But it doesn't come until you realize the old life is broken. And when you get to that broken point and you receive Christ, you know the burden of sin is just lifted off your shoulders. And you recognize God is going to take me in a new direction. You know, God has a plan. And you know, He gives us that Holy Spirit when we make that commitment to Him to guide, to provide, and to chide. You ever heard that? I made it up yesterday. God, provide, and chide. To guide, the Holy Spirit leads you the way. He helps you discern the Word and, and helps lead you the right way. To provide, the Bible says, if you're trying to live His way, He'll provide everything you need to do it. And to chide, He sometimes rebukes you. He sometimes scolds you when you get out of line. That's the conviction. That's the job of the Spirit to, to, to convict us when we're moving in the wrong direction and, and help us see the way that we need to go. To guide, to provide, and to chide. And those people were right there where they needed to be. Spiritually, they recognized their sinfulness. They were tears coming out of their eyes. But then they recognized, as Nehemiah called them, it's time to celebrate. They decided to repent. They turned to God. And man, that's the place where we celebrate because we're in God's care now. And we're moving forward in His grace. You know, I love this quote I came across. And it says, at the intersection of conviction and grace, we find joy. When we come convicted of our sin, and then we recognize the grace of God that He wants to give us, then we recognize the joy. Because in your, if you just have conviction, you're doomed. But when you get that grace of God, that forgiveness through Jesus Christ, man, what a joy it is to know that. I read this week an article that talked about tears. And it said the, two, the number one and the number two times in a person's life when they have tears is when, number one, is when more people have tears when they're sorrowful than any other time. The number two time when people have more, more tears is when they're joyful. It's like 80% of the time it's because of sorrow and like 70-some percent is is when they're joyful. Imagine that. When you become convicted, tears. When you receive the grace, tears. And you recognize the love of God working in your life. I want you to, uh, we read past it kind of quick, but I want you to listen to what Nehemiah said at the end of verse 10. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when you come to that place of joy where you recognize the grace of God that He's given me, that's joy. And that strength, what does that do? That provides the power to now find revival in the Lord. And here's our connection. 
Rejoicing in God's favor leads to strength for revival. You know, when you're caught up in a sinful lifestyle, you can't rejoice in the Lord. Number, number one, he, He's not there for you when you're in that sin. But when you recognize it and when you say, God, I have sinned before you. Give me a clean heart. That's when God goes to work. You know, the God of the universe who made this universe for us to enjoy wants to restore us back in His good graces. And He sent His Son to die in our stead that through belief in Him we can find that forgiveness of our sins and have a new relationship with God. And you know, all you have to do is turn to Him and start following Him and joy will be on the horizon. I learned something this week. Did you know you can't decide to go to sleep? You can decide to go to bed, but you can't decide to go to sleep. Now think about it. Now, anybody in here just decide to go to sleep, and boom, you're asleep. It don't happen like that. The only thing you can do, now some of you just woke up, and I, but you, you didn't decide to go to sleep. It's just a boring preacher. You can't decide to go to sleep. You can decide to put yourself in a position where you'll go to sleep. You know, you get some comfortable night clothes on. You, you have a good bed. You, you get under the covers. You lay on a, got a good pillow. You lay down on the pillow. You close your eyes. You, you try to block out all the things of the, of the day. And you put yourself in a position. And what happens? And suddenly, you, you go into sleep mode. You can't decide to have revival either. You can't say, I'm going to be revived right now. But you know what you can do is put yourself in a position to find revival. And you know how you do that? You get into the Word of God. And you start seeing how far you are from what God wants you to be. And you find that godly sorrow. And then you repent and you say, God, you know what? I don't want to go my way anymore. I want to go your way. And all of a sudden, that Holy Spirit comes and it begins to work and we begin to find the spiritual revival that helps us become the person, the man, the woman that God wants us to be. And we walk with Christ. I tell you what, against all odds, Nehemiah led a people to rebuild a wall, to refurbish the gates, to re-inhabit the city, but they still weren't where they needed to be until they got into the Word of God. They read the Word of God. And once they did that, they found revival and joy in the Lord. And that joy is your strength to live the life that God has called you to live. Let's go for it. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we like to be made new. We like to be restored. And Lord, you have it there for us. It's just a matter of us doing what you call us to do. And Lord, you, you pour yourself out to us through the Holy Spirit. If we'll just learn to grab hold of that, Lord, and be convicted that we, that we need to change, and, and then seek that change as we seek to know you and we come 
with godly sorrow. But Lord, when we get to that point and we repent, that's when the celebration starts because we are wide awake, restored, and ready to do your will. And so I pray today, Lord, that you help us to be a people, a restored people. Not what we used to be, but what you want us to be going forward. And Lord, that you restore your church in the midst of all that COVID has brought on. A lot of things need to be restored, and one of them is your church. Lord, help us to, to light the way for others as we lift up our lives to you and follow your path. In the strong, mighty name of Jesus, I pray and praise today. Amen.